Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Tales from Tolt. My name is Dwayne Davidson, your host. This is a program where we discuss the fascinating and rich history of that place we call the Sonoma Valley, basically from Monroe to North Bend. Welcome, folks, to another uh, episode where today I have a very special guest, Kathy Lambert, member of the King County Council. Hello, Kathy. Hi, good to see you again. Thank you for agreeing to participate with this. You know, what our emphasis on this program is, uh, is historical preservation. And you just are a rock star when it comes to this on a local level. And so we're really appreciative that you've... um, come by to share your thoughts and reflect back on some of the accomplishments and maybe some of the challenges that are in the future. Just um, and to remind the uh, listeners out there, we did a program earlier with Kathy that really focused on the Barn Again program, which we will discuss probably some um, this episode also. But just in case there might be some new viewers out there that are not really familiar with all with your uh, long history in public service, would you care to elaborate a little bit about where you've been and what what different organizations you've served on? Well, thank you. Um, I started out as a school teacher and then moved into, in 1995, being a state legislator for seven years. And then in 2001, uh, ran for the King County Council. And so I have been on the King County Council now for 20 years. So I've been through nine elections. This was my 10th election. And um, I have always been, as she said, very interested in historic preservation because I think history is a good teacher of what was. And you get to know um, how people view things, use things in the past. And I think that people today are very much wanting to put their norms on people who lived 100 or 200 years ago and not really understanding what those people in that time frame were dealing with. So I think having the ability to see what they had in the way of tools and barns and art uh, is very important to us being able to understand what our grandfathers, great-grandmothers, great-grandfathers, whatever, our family dealt with and to be able to move forward And I think when we see what they had and what they accomplished, it gives us a greater appreciation for our ancestors and what they did and to learn from them. I'm delighted that you as a person in a key, uh, you know, key decision maker had those kind of convictions because that's rather rare, as you probably can attest to. Not everybody, some people view it as... um, you know, sentimental type of uh, nostalgic type thinking that maybe isn't the most productive. But like you stated so well, I think that this is, um, it it can be very beneficial to us uh, in the future that we totally understand the past and where we came from and the lessons that we can learn from it. So I really appreciate that. And like I said, you know, this isn't something that every politician, if you will, develops and embraces. Can you Tell me, has there been any like challenges along the way when you've advocated for historical preservation funds where you've actually ran against that kind of a roadblock? You don't have to name any names, but any kind of fights where people said, no, that's 
probably that's not worth the money. Oh yes, um, you know there's a formula on how much money goes into historical preservation and how much goes into new art. And while I think both are important, I think that preserving our history, you can't get that back. So when we choose to not spend the kind of money I think we should be spending on historical preservation for newer art, um, I think that we deprive our grandchildren and great-grandchildren as well as us from being able to see the things that were important to, um, you know, to binding our communities together. You know, going and seeing a particular barn or a particular place, um, people will say, oh, you know, I remember my grandmother told me stories about going to a barn dance here, or I remember when this barn, you know, had um, some issues and we all came and restored it, or, you know, the stories of the past where we learn about how communities pulled together and did things together. And I know one time as a teacher, I did a lesson on fire prevention in the colonial days and how every house was required to have a minimum of two buckets above the front door. And they were the bucket brigade. And we actually had the students do a bucket brigade with um, you know, the buckets going down with a bowl and then being thrown by the person on the end onto the fire and then the empty buckets going back being filled up. And you know, after the kids did that for only about 15, 20 minutes, they were like, this is exhausting work. And um, you know, just got an appreciation. Some of them were like soaked wet, and they said, "No, that that wire is supposed to be on the fire, not on you." And so, you know, talking about, you know, what would that be like if this was your neighbor's barn or your house, or you know, all the emotions that would go into it, and how hot do you think that was, and you know, why would people have to rotate to the back, and just you know, a lot of good reasoning and problem-solving skills that could be taught from that very simple lesson. And I think that we don't do enough critical analysis in our teaching today. Um, and we, we judge things by what we think people did. You know, well, why didn't they just go to the fire extinguisher and, you know, take care of it that way? Well, they didn't have that. So, you know, it, it's hard for kids. I know that I took my granddaughters to um, Italy to a village that was a thousand years old. And they were putting some uh, PVC pipe up to expand the computer capacity for those um, dwellings. And my granddaughter said, well, Grandma, why didn't they just have all that capacity already in the building when they built it? And they said, well, this was built a thousand years ago. And they <coughs> said, well, didn't they have computers back then? And I'm like, no, girls, they did not have computers back then. And you know, then I said, well, you know, they, TVs were new when I was little. And so my granddaughters made the mistake of asking me, how old are you, Grandma? Because they just thought that, you know, TVs and computers were here from the beginning of time. So, you know, getting the perspective that people actually lived before computers and before TVs um, was quite the eye opener for, you know, my young teenage daughters, so, so granddaughters. So anyway, I think having the history preserved so that people can really process what that meant and get get to see it is very special and um, i love showing my grandchildren 
the history when we go to museums and we have some wonderful museums in the valley that you know um and and museum societies like hope incarnation and fall city and um, north bend and um, the north bend museum has some things in it that i didn't even realize it had in it so you know i think being part of these historical societies and hearing people talk about what things were like i know i spent um, some time over Thanksgiving with my parents who were 91 and 97. And when they tell me about things nearly 100 years ago, um, it's fun to hear because obviously I know them and um, hearing what their lives were like nearly 100 years ago. So I think it's it's really important for us to, to respect um, this art. And there is a huge push in the community that new art is the most important. And I think that for those of us that think you need a balance and potentially a little bit more of the money um, going into um, preservation and, and historical preservation, um, I think that we really need to be looking at that formula. We have a wonderful group in the county called For Culture, and they come up with the formula and they have an advisory board that um, does very good work of making sure that the art is preserved and, and taken care of, and then also what they are going to purchase and who will be the artists. And I think that's really important. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah, I uh, will share my own uh, little funny story about the cultural gap between the young folks. Uh, there, there was a story being told about over here in the Tri-City area where I currently live about that the Hanford site was selected because of a flyover by the military in the middle of the night. And they picked the um, area because it was dark and there was no lights on, but they didn't know that the, um, that the town, and I think that this was the same as for Duval at one point in time, was served by a generator. It wasn't hooked up to power on that power grid. It was by a generator. And at midnight, they shut the lights off and they shut the generator off. And so there was no power. So there was actually a whole town there, but they weren't able to identify there was a population there because from a plane, they didn't see any lights. And I thought, and my kids were fascinated by that story. They thought, people, you mean you could just be doing something to your house all of a sudden just the power would go off? And it's like, yeah, that was what life was like. So it's, it's kind of funny how we have, uh, uh, you know, uh, younger folks that can't even fathom this or kind of even imagine some of the things that our um, uh, forefathers and, uh, you know, our ancestors uh, went through. One thing you said, Kathy, that I think is really profound is, you know, once it's gone, it's gone. And I think that that really makes, uh, you know, the collection of oral histories and things like that just so crucial of work to be done out there because, it isn't something that we can say, oh, well, that was a mistake. Let's try to retrieve that. It won't be this. Once it's gone, history can uh, a lot of times be gone. Do you have concerns when you see the amount of development that is going on, which is all, you know, good and proper. People need a place to live and things like that. But there is so much building going on in the Sokomi Valley that some folks uh, feel that sometimes it threatens. I mean, sometimes old buildings are tore down for newer buildings and Things, how, how can we find that appreciation and that balance between new development and preserving, you know, the older way of life that makes it such a quaint area? Well, I think for especially like in a downtown where you have a special quaint area, 
um, for instance, like downtown Fall City, to be able to start saying, you know, what are the sub-area plans or in a city, what is your comp plan for historical preservation of a particular area? So it would be the entire city, but if you have, you know, an area where there are a lot of historical buildings, to get it historically preserved and as a as a block. And that way, you know, there are certain covenants on what they can do and what they can't do. And I think keeping an area so that it's it has the charm of the past is really, really important. And you know, it's it's not easy to get historically uh, designated. You have work to do. But once it's done, um, we look at the Aroma Coffee building, which was the uh, Pathman House um, originally in Fall City. And that house had so many businesses and it was a daycare, it was insurance, it was many, many things. And unfortunately for a while, it was squatters. Um, but when the coffee shop um, decided to buy it and go through the, the voluminous process, um, hopefully um, others won't be quite so um, voluminous as that one was because there were some issues with um, septic and some other issues that we got resolved. But that building was the original telephone um, center for the entire valley. And so they have pictures on the wall because it was kind of the, one of the original home businesses, um, not that the farms weren't home businesses, but um, of telephones because people lived in that house and they also did all the phones in the room that's right where they make the coffee now. And so there's signs and pictures up there so that you can learn that history. And you know, I and out front there is a picture of the house in the original. And they actually went back and bought the original or used the original drills that made all the woodwork. So the woodworking was replicated with the exact same tools that were used back in the early 1900s. And they have preserved so many things um, in that building that are just phenomenal. And it's so exciting to walk into this building and you feel like you've you know, gone back many, many years and the warmth of that building. Um, and now it's become a central place for building community and people are there constantly. And, um, you know, it's, it's so exciting to see even just one building being restored and how much that restores the community spirit. And um, so for um, many times um, I have had meetings there and in the early days when they're first opening up and people go, oh my gosh, this is a wonderful building, wonderful place. And it invigorates the community to take a building like that and bring it back to its original flavor and glory because they don't make things like they used to. And no. you know, the woodworking and everything is just so beautiful. And I think it's important for people to learn about craftsmanship. You know, my children, and not to say anything bad about my children because I love all of them, but I, you know, I like antiques and I ask them, you know, which antiques do you eventually want? And they go, oh, oh, mom, these are old. And I'm like, well, that's why they're called antiques. And they <laughs> said, no, no, they're old. We don't want that. We would much rather have a specific store's product um, that I'm not real fond of. And I said, you know, I, I never thought I dropped you when you were kids, but 
you know, with that statement that you would prefer that kind of furniture over antiques, somebody dropped you that we just don't know. Um, because, you know, it surprises me that, you know, some people don't want antiques anymore. And that's, that's just amazing to me when you compare, you know, plywood to, you know, hardwoods that have really tight grains and, you know, just things that you don't see anymore. And um, so I think yeah. it's important that we teach our children to, to really look at things for their quality. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we need to take a break for just a couple of minutes and uh, listen a couple of messages. And when we come back, we'll continue to talk about, uh, to uh, Kathy Lambert about uh, historical preservation in the Snoqualmie Valley. You're listening to Valley 104.9 FM, your Valley community radio station. Remember to join us at 1 p.m. on Sunday for Animal Radio. Animal Radio is America's most listened to pet show. The nearly two-hour celebration of our pets is hosted by veterinaire talent Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. So tune in, 1 p.m. Sunday, Animal Radio. Hi, everybody. This is Jay Fisk, host of Keeping Track of Giving Back in the Valley. We're the show that's on every week, and we talk about nonprofits that help all of us who live, work, and play here in the fabulous Snoqualmie Valley. You can catch us at 5.30 p.m. on Sunday, and then we do an encore presentation on Monday at 6.30 p.m. That's 5.30 Sunday evening and 6.30 on Monday for Keeping Track of Giving Back in the Valley right here on Valley 104.9 FM. Hi, I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian, investigative nutritionist, and host of Food Sleuth Radio, the show that helps us think beyond our plates, connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. If you care about the food you eat, then join me on Sundays at 3 p.m. on Valley 104.9 FM for Food Sleuth Radio. Please join Interim City Manager Bob Jean and me, Mayor Kimless, for Carnation Currents. Sundays at 5 p.m., Thursdays 5.30 p.m., and Fridays 6 p.m. on Valley Radio 104.9 FM for the latest updates of Carnation. Welcome back. We're continuing to talk with uh, Kathy Lambert, who is uh, finishing up a long, very productive career in public service, first starting off in the legislature and more recently with the King County Council. Kathy, you have taken a, a above and beyond the calls of duty of, of a council person uh, for the county to really uh, have a passion for historical preservation and you've been instrumental on a couple of programs. One I'd just like to mention again, we've we made it a focal point of a previous episode that we did, but that's the Barn Again program that just is extremely special program that uh, is into preservation of historical barns. Um, can you elaborate? What what are uh, let's talk about you know some of the accomplishments, but also let's talk a little bit about what are some of the things that the average listener of a program like this that might be more interested in historical preservation. With you going off the council, we are probably losing someone with that kind of passion in government that some people have to make up for. What can people do, and what what are some of your biggest concerns in the future? When we did the Barn Again program, they had a lot of legal hoops 
that they try to say, oh, we can't, we can't call that art. And yet, you know, lots of other things are called art that you go that art. So we got through the legal hoops that we could, we could do that. And so I think that obstacle has been done. You know, the several of the barn owners who are part of the Barn Again program have told me that people have stopped in front of their barns over the years and taken Christmas pictures and, you know, had picnics out in front of the barns because not everybody that lives in a city even knows what a barn is when you're a little kid. And so I think the Barn Again program on the first year, we had no idea how many barns would apply and we had quite a few apply. And of course we didn't have enough money to do them all, but what we did do was say, you know, that we would give um, through the county historical preservation unit um, some technical advice to help them on, you know, who are good contractors to help with, you know, restoring these barns properly. And, and then, you know, in subsequent years to get more money into that. So there, there should be money in this coming budget um, to put in money for Barn Again. And first I heard 500,000 and then I heard 300,000 and I told them, I'm not hearing you properly. I think you're still telling me 500,000. So, um, Good for you know, you. make sure that, you know, there is money, um, hopefully 500,000 to take care of these barns and be able to then, you know, we also worked with the state that if you got money from the county that you could use that as your offset for for state grants so that um, that would help the barn owners to not have to come up with so much upfront money um, if we could give them some grant money to apply for state money. Um, I have talked to the woman who is going to be taking my place and told her that this is an important program to the people of the valley and so I think letting her know that you agree that that's an important program um, and we'll be watching that she, um, you know, helps make sure that all the barns in the valley um, are are taken care of. When I drive um, to Snoqualmie, I'm sorry, to, to Snohomish County, and I see some of the barns up there that are, you know, needing help, I think, wow, I wish Barn Again could be helping some of these in their county too, because I would like to be known as the county where, you know, no barns are falling down. Um, that these are all preserved. And right now we're working on trying to get um, a structure that is, I think, one of its kind um, in a very large area. This is at the Preston Mill site. And some people call it the loafing shed, some people call it the drying shed, some people call it the big building. Whatever the name is, it's the building the furthest down and it's where the largest trees were brought to be milled and then um, were stored there. And trees came from all over because the, the saw that was there was bigger than any place else around. So we have the saw blade and we are having it um, fixed so that nobody will get cut on it. And then those buildings are supposed to be restored by the end of 2022. And so making sure that the Preston Mill site um, gets restored, uh, we're gonna have a gazebo there um, that will be made so that people could come and play instruments and have, um, you know, it has very good acoustics. I walked through that um, park twice, maybe three times, uh, now that I think about it, with Jim Ellis and stuff. And Jim Ellis used to play there as a child and um, he had great ideas of what that 
park should look like. And so um, I have been very clear with people that this is what Jim Ellis wanted uh, for this area. And of course, the regional park that's there, uh, including the ball fields in Preston, has now been named the Jim Ellis Regional Park. So we named it after him, and I think it's only appropriate that his vision for what it should look like um, come to fruition. So he wanted that building to be preserved. And I know there are some people that don't want it preserved, but um, I, I think if Jim wanted it, then that's the way it should be. And the amount of history that happened there um, is also very important. So um, as you know, um, we have a collaboration going right now with Told Historical Society and Incarnation um, to help get the, um, that building historically preserved so that we can then start applying for grants to have it, um, have it brought back to its um, former self. It will be expensive over time, but I believe that it is so large that um, people don't understand the size of the trees that were there. And when you stand in that structure, you're like, oh my goodness. Um, so it gives you a feeling of what was there and certainly to see the blades on that saw is quite amazing. Um, and then to be able to use that building for outdoor recreation, because in this area, as you're all quite aware, it rains a lot. And so teenagers don't really have any place to go to do outdoor recreation where, you know, they could have badminton or volleyball or something in that building, uh, that structure, and even when it was pouring down rain. And so it would give a place for people to go and, you know, you could even do like a, a jogging track inside of that building so that people could get their exercise and not get wet um, and still be part of the history. So we do have some people in the valley whose uncle um, was one of the foremen of that uh, mill and they have a, a lot of uh, original pictures and also you know some family stories about what that was like. So what you said earlier is so important that getting these firsthand stories from people um, who worked there or whose family worked there so that we we know um, what was happening and why Preston Mill Park is Preston Mill. Yep, yep, and it is a remarkable place and like you said the size of logs that went through there is something that we will never see again. Uh, we will never see logs like that size again. And that is something that we truly can uh, uh, appreciate it with a preservation of a building like that. It can be multi-used uh, for uh, current activities. So that makes it a win-win all the way around. Well, Kathy, believe it or not, we're uh, running uh, close to the uh, end of uh, this program. Uh, I just want to take this opportunity to just uh, say thank you um, uh, I, I can tell you folks that I personally know uh, Kathy and know just how hard she works. And when she um, took on projects like this barn again uh, years ago, and so she actually just didn't sit at the uh, at the courthouse and dictate out these things. She drove around and talked, stopped her car and went up and knocked on farmers' doors and got them involved. She was, she she is out there getting her hands uh, uh, dirty throughout the years. To, um, to make these uh, different historical projects happen. And we uh, have a lot 
have achieved a lot because of all the hard work and dedication you've put in. So on behalf of someone that really does appreciate historical uh, preservation in a, in a place that I, I truly love, the Sonoma Valley, and my family's been there for generations, uh, just like to tell you thank you for everything you've done. Thank you. It was very fun to do that, to make up the flyers and go out early, early in the morning on Saturdays. And my husband kept saying, who are you going to breakfast with? And I said, <laughs> I'm not going to breakfast with anybody. I'm looking for farmers that are taking care of their cows. Um, and so anyway, it was it was fun to do. And of course, as you know, Julie Kohler, who was the head of our historical program at the time, um, she and I went back east to win the national award um, for this program because the historical societies felt like it had accomplished um, some things that were different. And um, it, was, it was very fun to see um, other places be so excited too about trying to implement a similar program. Oh, that's good. Yeah, because whenever something works really good, it does take uh, other people uh, do take note of it and uh, replicate it in their own communities. That's great. And uh, our program is doing that. So, so Kathy, thank you. And thank you for being my guest today. Folks, uh, uh, please tune in next week while we continue to discover the interesting history of that beloved place we call the Sopoi Valley. Tune in next week. At, uh, we broadcast now twice a week, both at uh, Monday, Monday nights at six o'clock and on uh, Sundays at 4.30. Bye folks.